0141-951-1025. It's time to talk football. It's Clyde One Super Scoreboard. Good evening and welcome to Super Scoreboard as Steve Clark's Scotland side prepare to take on the best team in the world. Yes, yeah, Scotland had a hazard warning when Eden scored that 4-0 win just 18 months ago at Hamden. But Steve Clark believes Scotland can do it tonight. He's taken Kilmarnock to Celtic Park. He's taken them to Ibrox. He's got results against all odds. But tonight, will it be Burke? Will it be Brophy? Will it be McGinn? Will it be McTominay? And can Scotland, Alison, take a point few believe possible? I'm Alison Conroy and joining me until 7 o'clock tonight is Roger Hanna. Remember, you can give us a call on 0141 951 1025 or tweet us at Clyde SSB. As Roger says, a massive night for Scotland as they take on Belgium in Brussels. Roger, how are you feeling about this one? Uh, it's difficult to feel too positive um, A lot more positive After 89 minutes Than I was after 87 minutes yeah. On Saturday night When Ollie Burke came off the bench And scored that crucial winner And it was crucial We said all last week In this double header The big one was the Cyprus game The Steve Clark regime Needed a win On day one at Hamden Most people would say It's a free hit Tonight in Brussels Against the, the world's Top ranked nation Eden Hazard Kevin De Bruyne Romelu Lukaku a team filled with superstars, Alison. But Steve Clark believes if they go there, they don't make mistakes, they can come away with something. One of the most unlikely points it would be, I think, probably in international history. Yeah, well, Steve Clark's looking for an almost perfect performance from his Scotland players against the best team in the world tonight. They, of course, take on Belgium in the Euro qualifier and the national boss says they can't show any fear. I always say to the players, you have to make sure that the opposition know that you, you have the, the capability to hurt them. It's important to get the defensive side right, but if you if you go through the game, if you try to play 97 minutes with, with no attacking threat, then it's going to be a, a really long night. So you have to get the balance right. They'll know their talents, they'll know their they'll know their ability. But I think for the even for the lads who who haven't come up against the the English-based Belgian players is 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 a great challenge for them. Like I said before, they should be they should be relishing that challenge. A time to relish the challenge and show what they've got, Roger. Yeah, they spoke about the importance of getting the defensive side right. You have to remember it was a very bad goal Scotland lost from a set piece. Um, if they defend that way, then Belgium will tear them apart tonight, I'm afraid mm-hmm. to say. They need to be tighter, they need to be more disciplined, both at set plays and in open play. But Steve Clark's right, they do need to pose an attacking threat. Um, there didn't look to be an enormous attacking threat for a long time on Saturday at Hamden. They relied on the skipper, Andy Robertson, an, an unlikely goal hero to finally break that stalemate on Saturday mm-hmm. night. Oli Burke at one late on. I wouldn't be surprised to see Burke getting the nod to start tonight away from home. Um, if we can get the ball up the field, hopefully it could stretch up Belgian defence. How much will that Oliver Burke goal completely change the mindset for the players going from that draw to the victory? Well, Steve Clark said immediately after the game on Saturday night, Alison had been a sort of aura of negativity surrounding the national team mm. so far this year. And had that game on Saturday finished 1-1, that negativity would just have carried on with the squad to Brussels for this game tonight. As it is, Scotland did get the late goal, but did score his first international goal. And it lifted that air of gloom, if you like. And I think a few of the Scotland supporters, there's an awful lot of them going across the North Sea into Belgium for this game. They travel with a bit more hope than they would have done otherwise. 
We don't have the team yet. We're expecting it in the next half an hour or so. Do you expect many changes from that starting 11 at Hamden on no, Saturday? I don't, I don't see wholesale changes, I have to say. We're, we're just waiting to see the team coming in. I would expect eight or nine at least of the team that started at the weekend to start against Steve Clark. He made big play of bringing in more experienced players again at the weekend. He spoke about the team against Cyprus between them having more than 100 caps more than the team that had played in San Marino So he was keen to get David Marshall back in goal Keen to get Charlie Mulgrew back into the centre of defence Keen to get more experienced players into that side Now I would think the two big choices he's got Does he stick with young Eamon Brophy up yep. front Give him a first cap away from home Or has Burt done enough coming off the bench to score To get a start And likewise has Scott McTominay of Manchester United Has he done enough off the bench at the weekend To earn a start ahead perhaps of John McGinn it's not that long since we played Belgium. It was back in September at Hamden. Just a friendly, but it was 4-0 that night. Yeah, and it was it was a very painful 4-0 as well. That was the time I think Portugal came a month later and, and took three off Scotland, a couple of real beatings against quality opposition. They just really confirmed what we knew, Alison, that, that Scotland's national team is a long way away from the elite of Europe, the likes of the Belgians, the Portuguese teams like that. Uh, if they're going to get back anywhere close Nice like this are important Because there will be a lot of players in the squad Not used to taking on the Hazards And the De Bruyne's and the Lukaku's of this world Belgium's population is around double that of Scotland So should Steve Clark's Scotland side Be aspiring to achieve what Roberto Martinez's side have done? Eventually, if, like you say, long term That can be something that we that we should look at But for, for me it's very much short term uh, it's not that long ago I was manager of Kilmarnock and I was I was preparing a, a domestic team for domestic fixtures and now in a very short space of time I've had to pick up the thread as an international manager. So for me, yeah, to speak about that is great, but for me the short-term focus was to get as many points as we could out of these two games. What Belgium have done for the size of country that they are in relative terms is impressive to be number one in the world, but Steve Clark's right, we can't be looking at that and going, right, that's OK, that's our next aim. Yeah, it's probably the strongest Belgian team there has ever been. Mm. Uh, finished third in the World Cup finals a couple of years ago, uh, last year in fact I should say, and there's quality right through, you know, you go from Thibaut Courtois in goal, the three who played at the back in the 3-0 win against Kazakhstan at the weekend, you've got Vincent Kompany with the two Tottenham lads, Alder Verald and Vertonghen either side, the midfield is just brimming with quality to the extent that they can even send on Yuri Tillemans, who I think Brendan Rodgers is ready to pay £40 million pounds mm. to take to Leicester permanently. He can't even get in the starting lineup. And then if Lukaku starts again, then on the bench you've got Bacuay of Chelsea and Divo Corrigi of Liverpool, who's just scored goals in the Champions League semi final and Champions League final. Remember, you can give us a call tonight, 0141-951-1025. And Craig in Cumbernauld has done just that. Good evening, Craig. Hi, good evening, Alison, uh, Roger. Hi, um, hi there. Um, just before I make a point, can I ask Roger a, a quick question, actually? Um, Roger, I was just thinking, I, I watched the, the women's game against England the other day in the World Cup, and I thought, you know, we were fantastic, and I thought we were done by a penalty that shouldn't have been a penalty. But I wanted to ask whether you thought... Obviously, Steve Parts just took over, but somewhere down the line, that maybe Shelley Kerr could actually take over the men's team. A bit like, you know, we've seen plenty of male managers in this, the women's game, and I just think with what she's done there, maybe somewhere down the line, could she take that hot seat as the first woman to manage us? I think it's a possibility. I think what's probably more likely, Craig, is that Shelley will end up getting a job either in the SPFL 
or maybe down south She's already managed in the Lowland League As you know at the University of Stirling And done a terrific job there I was listening to Craig Brown speaking the other day And he was saying his old friend Alex Smith Had been and watched Shelley's training When she was at Stirling Uni And he said it was absolutely fantastic uh, The way she worked with all the players there I know she worked closely with the number two Andy Thompson With the goalkeeping coach Steve Banks The old hearts keeper And they're now all together with the Scotland national team And anyone you speak to you know, they can't fail to be impressed Not just by the achievement of taking the team to the World Cup But by the way she, the way she's, you know, shaped up the team The way she's shaped up the squad And the way she's developed her own coaching career And there's absolutely nothing to stop her You know, leaving this job somewhere down the line And coming into the men's game at club level I think I would totally agree I just think she's done a brilliant job And I would love nothing more than to, than to see her Because I think Naturally, the next step for the women's game would be to have women, you know, mm. coaching at a, a professional level in the men's game. But um, just to my point about the night um, of the game against Belgium, I think it's going to be a painful watch for most Scotland fans. To be honest with you, um, you know, last time we played Belgium, we got an absolute doom, um, and I think it's got to be better than it was against Cyprus. You know, the the hype was, you know, building massively. Getting into, you know, Steve Clark's first game in charge, and to be honest with you, I found it a bit of a disappointment because. There was no real, you know, the, the team had spells where they looked okay, but the fact that Cyprus came within a couple of minutes of getting a draw at Hamden against us, just like we've done before against teams like Lithuania and all the rest of it, tells me that clearly it's still not right. And I think Eamon Brophy, as much as I was happy to see him get his, his cap, I don't think he's the right man to lead the line for Scotland. I think we do have better strikers. Um, so I'm not sure that... Um, that squad that we've got and the team that Stevie Clark's picked is necessarily equipped to go out there and get anything. Yeah, it's fair. Belgium and are lucky to get three against Cyprus. It's fair to say, although, as you said earlier in the programme, that people will see this game, in a way, Roger, as a free hit, they don't want to watch another heavy defeat to no, Belgium. And, and listen, to, to take Craig's points in order, um, the performance, the performance for a long time looked as if it was a, a, a team who had just had four or five days working with a new manager and were still just getting used to the new manager and the way he wants to put his team out. Um, they didn't press as high as you would perhaps expect a team playing at home to Cyprus to press, but that's just the way Steve Clark sets his teams out. Um, Eamon Brophy, he didn't really have, have many goal-scoring chances. I remember a back-post header he just put wide. Um, it's difficult to criticise the lad. Uh, Steve Clark asked me to go and play number nine for Scotland. I think I'd probably go, and I wouldn't be very good. Uh, but the one thing we'll see in Eamon Brophy's defence, you talk about us having better strikers. At least Eamon Brophy turns up. You know, there's a lot of strikers playing at a higher level who could be playing for Scotland and have shown scant interest in turning up to play for Scotland. No, there is definitely, and I think that's the important thing that players they turn up, and obviously. You know, frankly, it was unacceptable under McLeish when that was happening because although, yes, he wasn't a great manager for us uh, at the time, I also think that there's no excuse for the players, you know, turning their back in the fans that way, never mind the manager. But that aside, I still think there are better strikers we could bring in that would play. Um, I only had one game and I'm not being overly critical. You know, I, I just I just think when, when I saw Eamon Brophy out there, I, I just thought to myself, does this look like a team that, that's that's got the quality in it that can really go and, and actually push to qualify for tournaments and get in. And I'm not sure it does 
currently I know there are still players, you know, like Lee Griffiths and things like that, who no doubt come back in once he returns to Celtic. Um, but I, I just don't, you know, when you look at other teams and the squads they've got and the quality they've got, I think we're, we're lacking in that up front position. That is not to take anything away from both of you. I just, I don't know. I'm not convinced. I actually watched quite a bit of the international football over the weekend Not just the Scotland game And obviously mm. our focus, Craig, has to be in Scotland But, you know, I watched the Republic of Ireland Stumble to get a 2-0 win against Gibraltar last night uh, Northern Ireland won, I think they won in Estonia On Saturday afternoon And although they won the game They weren't very good for an awful long time Wales lost in Croatia the 2-1 But it could have been a lot more before they got a consolation near the end So we're not the only nation who, whose fans have probably turned round At the end of a long season and say I didn't think we played particularly well We didn't play particularly well against Cyprus There's no question about that But we got the three points that Steve Clark craved And tonight I think even if Scotland were to lose 2-0 or 2-1 If we can get some kind of performance yeah. That we can build on for the start of next season I don't hold out any hope of getting through this group the hope I hold is that by the time we get to the Nations League playoff in March, Steve Clark's managed to bond together a squad, attract back some of these better players who at the moment don't seem to want to make themselves available and we can get to the finals through that playoff. Craig, would that please you if you see a better performance from Scotland? They are playing the number one team in the world, so running them close? I think it would. It would It would. I mean, it would give me more confidence. I think it would give any of the fans, you know, all the fans more confidence yeah. because we've had three games now in this qualifying group and none of them have been anywhere near good enough. Obviously, the first two were under McLeish, so you can't hold that against Hart. But I think for even a longer period of time than that, we've just not put in anywhere near the level of performance, even in the Nations League. Although we won that a group against Israel and Albania, you know, with all due respect to those two countries, we should be beating those teams and when we went over to Israel and lost 3-2 and then came very, very close at Hamden to not being able to beat them there either. I think, you know, that's what's frustrating is how long we've been so poor for. The last time we put in good performances consistent, consistently actually was under Gordon Strachan because the last five or six games of that qualifying campaign um, for the World Cup or the Euros, we actually did pretty well. We only lost, I think, one of those games. So that's... Night and day from you know Stevie Clark got a job in his hand to, to come in, but he can't just go and pick Kilmarnock players and think that that's going to be the solution to the problem. Because to me, that's I just don't think it is. It's funny, Alison. You look, you look at the squad. Mm-hmm. The inevitable thing is for people to say, "Oh, he's filling it with the boys he knows from Kilmarnock." Yeah. But other than the guys who have made themselves unavailable, I don't really recall people saying, "Oh, he should have picked player A, B, and C." The guys who he didn't pick are the ones who themselves have said, no, I, I, I don't, I, I want, don't want to be play. here. Snodgrass, MacArthur, yeah. Ritchie, Griffiths has obviously got his own problems to deal with at the minute. Uh, Tierney's injured, McBurney was injured for this one. So uh, there were a lot of players unavailable to Steve Clark for this one. If he can get them all fit and all sufficiently interested that they're willing to come away and play for Scotland in these international double-headers, then the personnel... Will inevitably look stronger But for this game I don't think you could You know Quarrel with him For picking the likes of Stuart Finlay And Greg Taylor mm. And Eamon Brophy Because It wasn't exactly Snowed under with alternatives Steve Clark's admitted himself That he does have a job And he's had He's only had them for What five six days In yeah, terms of training He watched the last Belgium 
game that Scotland played. But then he said, I didn't have much time, so I actually watched Belgium's more recent games than that. So he's he's had to try and focus on, on, on certain things. So he, I suppose he does need time. Yeah, and he needs the players need time to get to know Steve Clark as much as Steve needs to get to know the players. He will play a different style of football to Alec McLeish. He'll probably play a different style to the one that Gordon Strachan played that Craig spoke about there. Um, he will be slightly more defensive. People always seem to put a negative spin when you say the team looks more defensive. Um, they will be very organised. That was why I was so surprised that it lost that equaliser from a set piece the other night because Kilmarnock weren't renowned for losing goals from set pieces. Um, I'm sure they will work very, very hard on that when you think they're about to take on a team with Lukaku and Alderweireld and Vertonghen and company in it. Won't want to be caught out But difficult enough In open play Without conceding goals From set plays tonight So they, they really are Up against it A result I think will be Extraordinarily difficult But If he sees enough In the performance That will encourage him Then Roll on the two games In September A quick look On Twitter And some folk Yes it was a win Against Cyprus But Cyprus Are one here Cyprus are gar- garbage And Scotland really Scraped past So what does that make Scotland near garbage Steve Clark got the win that he wanted to kick off his Scotland reign. Yeah, and it a listened. win. The performance aside, he got the win, and it's where he goes from there. Yeah, and listen, it's dead easy to come on and say Cyprus are garbage. Aberdeen were eliminated from Europe a couple of years ago by a Cypriot team, so Cypriot football is on the rise. He, they tend not to travel very well, so they would have been delighted with a, a point at Hamden yeah. on Saturday, and thank goodness they didn't get it. But yeah. A time like this for Scott, the Scottish national team, Alison, it's about baby steps. It's about Steve Clark learning about his players, which ones he can trust to do certain jobs. It's about the players learning what Steve Clark expects of them. So let's just be grateful. We got the win. We got the new spell for a Scotland manager off to a victorious start. Mm. And we now go into Brussels tonight, hoping against hope that the manager's confidence is... Um, is proven correct. Thank you to Craig for his call. We'll speak to Kenny and Airdrie after the travel with Amber. Clyde One Super Scoreboard with Thompson's Personal Injury Solicitors. Great results for Scottish accident and injury victims for 40 years. Roger Hanna here with me, Alison Conroy, tonight on Clyde One Super Scoreboard. You can give us a call on 0141 Roger, you have the team. Scotland team just been announced yeah. for tonight's game David Marshall keeps his place in goal Stephen O'Donnell, Charlie Mulgrew Scott McKenna Greg Taylor makes his Scotland debut, mm. there is no Andy Robertson in the team, Charlie Mulgrew will captain Scotland tonight the midfield, Scott McTominay Callum McGregor, Kenny McLean and Stuart Armstrong with Johnny Russell supporting <coughs> Oliver Burke the Scotland bench, Bain, McLaughlin, Forrest, McGinn, Brophy, Fraser, Palmer, Souter, Finlay, McNulty and Shinney. So just looking from the weekend, that looks to be, I'm just counting, one, two, three, four, four changes from the weekend. No Robertson in the squad at all. Hmm. Forrest, McGinn and Brophy all drop to the bench. That possibly the most surprising thing that the captain, Andrew Robertson, drops out after that goal on Saturday. He's not in the squad. You you would wonder, is it injury related? I can only think when he's not on the bench, there must be yeah. some kind of injury. He did have a calf injury prior to Liverpool winning the Champions League final. Got through the Champions League final, a win against Tottenham. Got through the game at the weekend. Uh, scoring, of course, for Scotland, the mm. opening goal in that 2-1 win against Cyprus. He's not involved at all tonight. And, of course, with Kieran Tierney recovering from that surgery in Munich a week or two ago, Greg Taylor 
of Kilmarnock has a chance to make his Scotland debut tonight We'll go back onto the phones. We've got Kenny and Airdrie. Hello, Kenny. First of all, what's your reaction to that Scotland starting 11 for tonight? Okay, evening, guys. Alison and uh, Roger. It's, it's okay. quite, a, quite an interesting lineup, Roger. I, I think uh, it's a wee bit of a surprise, Robertson, but obviously the guys, you know, he's played a long season, eh, to be expected. But uh, no, I think uh, I, I like the introduction of obviously Steve Clark's uh, faith in uh, Young Taylor, but. I like that he's actually going for players that he knows and players that maybe gel better with other players rather than picking four or five for a team that, that, that maybe, uh, <laughs> if it sounds makes sense, a wee bit advanced for the rest of the players that are playing around. Well, listen, I know exactly the point you're making. It's interesting. I'm quite surprised as well that there's no James Forrest. Johnny Russell seems to have got the nod instead of him. Um, also, missing Ryan Fraser down on the bench as well. Stuart Armstrong looks to be coming in for him. It looks a more defensive. I'm interested to see how, how they, they line up, whether it is. A, a, it looks as if it could be a diamond in midfield. Not sure McTominay's there, McLean's there, McGregor's there, Armstrong's there. There's no natural width in among there. Could Johnny Russell provide a bit of width? Could Burke be pushed out wide? It'll be really interesting to see how the team lines up. Looks like a back four with the two Kilmarnock fullbacks and the same two centre-halves, Kenny from the other night, McGrew, who captained the team, and Scott McKenna, and David Marshall in goal again. Steve Clark made the point at the weekend it was good to get his experience back, and he's a man without a club at the minute, leaving Hull City. Um, hopefully he'll put in a performance tonight like he did all those years ago for Celtic and Barcelona. Might get himself a new club off the back of a display tonight. Well, you'd like to think that we put in a performance, eh? I mean, initially what I was going to phone up for, guys, was, as you say, Roger, listening to the football at the time and watching it, I, I watched the third and fourth playoff uh, with England, and at, at one point one of the commentators said he feels that England are losing uh, a sort of team because there's there's too many there, there's that many foreigners in the, the, the teams doing, doing so. I've said this to Hugh Keevans for a while, and, and, and I would refer to John McGinn and uh, Kenny McLean, obviously when they played with St Martin. I think it's about time that we make our league a wee bit bigger, and and, and I'll tell you for why. It's even even adding four onto making up to a league of sixteen and playing playing each other twice. I really think it would give teams. It wouldn't be so cutthroat, you know, it's so a cutthroat to get into Europe, so cutthroat to get in the top six, and then again a relegation battle. But I genuinely think. It's not like we're attracting uh, play, young players from down south to come and play in Scotland for the money that's on offer. So there must be an awful lot of Scottish laddies all playing, but they're, they're, they're not getting the opportunity. You know, we've got big teams, Dunfermline, Dundee United, it, they were on the first division last year at the Championship. But I think we could bring, you know, more to our game. And, and as, as you say, it's a, everybody's uh, preference for the Scotland manager was Steve Clark. It would maybe give him better options, you know, and, and he would see more players up here if it was a bigger league and they were getting to experience playing Celtic Rangers, Hearts, Hibs, Aberdeen, you know, and, and bringing them on a bit because a lot of our players, Ryan Fraser, young laddie, uh, doing fantastic now, you know, being touted by Arsenal. I think we, we tend to put our game doing too much. I think we've got better players than what, what we give ourselves credit for. Well, the, the, the argument against this, Kenny, has always been... You look at the kind of Scottish base players in the team tonight, you know, the lad Taylor making his Scotland debut, the likes of Big McKenna up at Aberdeen, the likes of O'Donnell at Kelly, Callum McGregor at Celtic. The argument against expanding the league is, is it going to make Callum McGregor a better player if he plays against mm-hmm. Infermline and Inverness, Cali Thistle? Um, no, it probably isn't. The idea of having the smaller league of 12 teams is to try and have best against best, and that brings the players on, you know, it makes... 
you know, the likes of a McKenna, Aberdeen or a McGregor at Celtic, better players because they're playing against better players week in, week out, rather than diluting the quality in, of the league by adding more numbers to it. Fraser was an exception. Fraser went down and worked very hard when he left Aberdeen. He just went away from Scottish football. He went down to Bournemouth. He had a loan spell out at Ipswich, played in the Championship, which is a tough league down there. Earned his place in the Bournemouth team Excelled in the Premiership And listen He's only got a year to go In this Bournemouth deal Hasn't signed a new one And he could well be going To an Arsenal Or elsewhere And then He's playing again Against better quality of players And hopefully that takes him To another step A step closer to You know where the likes Of Andy Robertson now is Kenny Well, well see that was That was what I was going to come back Roger thanks for giving me the chance again mm. uh, I think Andy Robertson Playing with Queen's Park Then going to Dundee United Then getting that Fabulous move to Liverpool I think there's probably a lot more Scottish players that are just not getting up. I know what you're saying about the elite, you know, having all the better teams. But I think what we're doing, we're going to give Steve Clark two years to to try and get us into a championship and try and get us into a, a tournament of some sort. But we're not getting our own game enough time. You know, why not try, try a wee change? I mean, I, I think we, we did better in tournaments when we're league was bigger. If, I don't know if the if stats are right but uh, or even near, but I would imagine that if you go back to when when we were uh, qualifying for World Cups and European Championships, that the league was it possibly bigger at that time. Back in the day, no. I think when it's from about 77, 78, the Scottish Premier League came down to 10 teams actually for a long time. That was at a time, though, an awful lot of the players in those squads, 78, 82, 86, they were playing down in the, the old first division in England. So you said at the top of the call about you know, English football complaining there's too many foreign players in, in their league and it's suppressing the young English players coming through. It's also suppressing the opportunities for Scottish players that they traditionally had in England's top flight. You think back to you know, when Nottingham Forest were winning European Cups, they had John Robertson, Kenny Burns, John McGovern, players like that in. Um, when Aston Villa won it, Alan Evans, who went to the 82 World Cup, was at the heart of the defence for Aston Villa when they were winning European Cups. Liverpool, they had Douglas, Souness, Hansen, Nickel, Wark, all playing in European Cup finals. So Scottish players then tended to be playing in the top flight down south. Yeah, listen, there were a few from... Rangers Celtic Aberdeen and United in those days who got into the Scotland squad Alan Ruff as well from Thistle but in those days it was a, a 10 or a 12 team Premier League up here Thank you to Kenny for his call a quick look on Twitter and it seems that a few are surprised and not convinced by the team tonight no Fraser or Forrest Tony says well what is Clark doing Jack says still going to be 4 or 5 nil for Belgium Colin saying oh dear a big blow against Belgium Colin saying hopefully Belgium stop at four, Roger. Yeah, you can't whack a bit of online social media positivity. Such positivity. Alison. A ball hasn't even been kicked yet. It's clearly going to be a change of shape. It was a 4-3-3 the other night. The two wide players, Forrest and Fraser, aren't there. Eamon Brophy isn't there either. So all three of the front guys are away. There's no Andy Robertson, John McGinn's down to the bench. Uh, I wonder if it'll be... A diamond in midfield There's no natural width Among those four midfielders So clearly Steve Clark is trying to Give Scotland numbers in there Against a You know A high quality Belgian team It's a strange formation Roberto Martinez plays He plays The three centre halves He then is four across the middle And then there's sort of Two behind Lukaku So if you take the two central Midfielders Who on Saturday Were, were De Bruyne and Witzel mm. There's then another two Just in front of them Eden Hazard And Dries Mertens So maybe he sees sense and trying to have a diamond midfield to match up against that four in there. 
Um, the pace of Burke will be important if Scotland are to have an out ball. Johnny Russell starts as well. You wonder if they'll be asked to you know, start through the middle and push out yeah. into wider areas when Scotland get the ball to try and get Scotland up the park a little bit. But you know, what a night for Greg Taylor, an international debut for Scotland. Debuts don't really come much away bigger than, from home yeah. against FIFA's top-ranked side. Um, good luck to you. Andrew Robertson, of course, not in the squad for tonight. He did speak to the media yesterday and he says, you know, we were talking about it's a free hit for Scotland tonight and he's very much against that. He says, no game's ever a free hit. We need to believe that we can win any game that we go into instead of thinking like that? Yeah, um, and that's probably the mindset of a Liverpool player who has just won the Champions yeah. League final, pushed Manchester City very, very close in the English Premier League. It's probably the mantra of Jurgen Klopp. But when Andy Robertson goes to his day job at Liverpool, he is surrounded by the cream of world talent. Look at the other guys in the back four. You know, Alexander Arnold, one of the most promising right backs in the world. Virgil van Dijk, probably at the moment the best centre half at the world. Mm-hmm. Joel Matip. And then he looks further forward and he's got Salah, Manny, and Firmino. So it's not surprising Andy Robertson can speak like that because week in, week out at club level, that's the right mantra uh-huh. for, for him to have. Um, when he comes together with Scotland, this is no disrespect to the players at Steve Clark's disposal in this squad. Players aren't as good, Alison. Um, and the players from Belgium are a lot better than us. So rather than being the big team against the wee team, we're now the wee team against the big team. And the team looks a lot weir without Andy Robertson tonight. I want to go back onto the phones now. We've got Laurie and Denison. Hello, Laurie. Uh, Alison, good evening. Good evening. Uh, good evening, Roger. Hi, Laurie. Uh, Roger, a couple of points. Uh, I know people listening to this will say I'm a very cynical man, but... There are times I just have to tell it like as irrespective of how unpopular uh, that makes me. Uh, point number one, a couple of callers both last night and tonight uh, talking about the Scotland uh, Women's World Cup team uh, and uh, touting uh, the manager care for a job, uh, club management uh, or internationally for the, the, the men's uh, team. I, I'm afraid that's over the top. Incidentally, I do wish the Scottish women's uh, squad all the best for the World Cup. And France, uh, as a, a guy who's a lifelong trade unionist, I've always believed in, in, in equality uh, in the workplace. But to say that she should be a candidate uh, for a, a bigger job in club football or internationally uh, is nonsensical. I mean, let's put things in perspective. Uh, the two biggest club sides in women's football in Scotland, uh, Glasgow City and Hibernian, play their home games respectively at Peter Sill Park and Ainsley Park in Edinburgh. Their respective capacities, 1,000 in Springburn, the home of the Peasies, and 3,500, I believe, at Ainsley Park, where Spartans uh, play at Edinburgh. The truth of the matter is, Roger, uh, that there is very little public appetite for women's football in Scotland, and you probably would find, I don't have the attendance figures to hand, but you probably would find that when these uh, league fixtures are played out, the attendances probably would be on a par to, you would, to what you would get at sheepdog trials or caber-tossing competition. Laurie, can you base somebody's ability as a manager on the attendances they get? Jack Ross went from Alloa to St Mirren. To Sunderland. So, if you base it on attendances, should um, Jack Ross have got a bigger job? I'm basing uh, my argument is predicated uh, on the quality of player uh, that she's presiding over, Alison. 
Uh, and I'm afraid for me it's a quantum leap uh, to consider her as a bona fide candidate uh, for a, a job in uh, top flight, the SPFL. Uh, she's not used to handling uh, players of that calibre, of that ability. Uh, it's nothing to do with her gender. Uh, can I make my second point, panel? Roger, do you want to pick up on that point? What First a, of all, we're not listen, saying it's going to happen next week, next month, next is, year. It would take a very, very brave chief executive or chairman yeah. to be the first in Scottish football. Leon Dempster what, said that as what, well. One of the first in world football to appoint a female coach. I think Scotland is not quite ahead of its time, but it's taken the right decision to have a woman in charge of the women's team. Mm-hmm. We lost to a team, English team, on Sunday evening, managed by Phil Neville. Um, so even the FA haven't gone down the line of appointing female coaches in charge of their female national team. So Shelley Kerr has done an absolutely terrific job. She's created history. She's been awarded an MBE in the Queen's Birthday Honours last Friday. But it would be, I think it's a, it's a leap of faith to yeah, think absolutely. that there are chairman or chief execs in Scottish senior football ready to appoint <coughs> Shelley Kerr. Laurie, what was your second point? My second point, Alison, uh, was Kenny, the previous caller from Andre. Always enjoy listening to Kenny. He's a very fair-minded man. Uh, tonight, however, uh, I found myself uh, in disagreement with him. He was touting a 16-team top flight. I think it's a non-starter, Alison, for two reasons. Uh, first reason uh, being that it would mean that too many games uh, after the Christmas and winter break uh, would be meaningless and that you'd have clubs bogged down in a quagmire mid-table and matches that never really amounted to much. Now, whatever criticism people want to make of the present format, right up until the last uh, the game of the, games of the season were played, virtually every game played in the last two or three weekends was meaningful. A, uh, for the destiny of the title and teams competing for Europe, and B, for teams uh, who wanted to extricate themselves from the relegation dogfight. Uh, at the bottom uh, of the table. The other reason being, uh, and again, whether we like this or not, but this, this is a fact of life. The TV companies, the satellite TV companies, BT and Sky, uh, have a big, big say uh, in, in football games. And they will not and would not countenance the old firm only playing each other twice a season in the league, or your Celtic Rangers only playing Aberdeen twice or Hearts or Hibs. Uh, money talks, and that is why football fans uh, reluctantly uh, still have to go to football games on a Friday night or Saturday lunchtime or a Sunday morning because it's the TV companies that are calling the shots. Thank you to Laurie for his call. This is Clyde One Super Scoreboard. We're back after the travel with Amber. Clyde One Super Scoreboard with Thompson's Personal Injury Solicitors. Great results for Scottish accident and injury victims for 40 years. Clyde One Super Scoreboard. Alison Conroy here with Roger Hanna through until 7 o'clock. Laurie's comments about Shelley Kerr managing in the men's game has got a few talking on Twitter. Stephen Ray does say he's right. The women's game is effectively amateur football here. Shelley Kerr would have to start start off at a lower league club and hopefully work her way up to the levels. That's, you know, obviously she's not going to walk in at a top level job. Well, she'd already had a job in men's football. Yeah. She was manager of the University of Stirling in, in the Lowland League, effectively the fifth level of Scottish football, if you like. So she has impressed 
in the Scottish men's game She's doing very very well In the women's game The international women's game I still feel it would take a very courageous chairman Or mm-hmm. chief exec Not even to appoint Shelley Kerr But to appoint any, any woman yep. to, be, to, you know, to become the first club step. To appoint a woman as manager Of a senior team in men's football I, I just think we're, we're a, quite a bit away from that yet one logic I don't get on Twitter is that when comparing men and women's football, we're told it's a different game. If it is indeed a different game, then a women's football manager can't expect to manage a team playing men's football. It's a different game. That argument totally falls down when you've got Scott Booth managing Glasgow City. And Phil Neville managing the English yeah. national team. Um, a lot of national teams at this World Cup have male coaches. Um, it's something that surprised me. You know, You would think that they would try and develop the coaches... The female coaches in the Scottish game Just the way they develop the female players In the Scottish game And the female players are developing You know, you, you look at young Erin Cuthbert Up front against England the other day Claire Emsley who scored the goal mm. Young players getting better and better And you know, will improve for the first ever experience Of a World Cup Interesting to see We'll probably find out during the course of this tournament Alison, What coach development is like for female coaches Beneath Shelley in the Scottish yeah. game well, Scotland's women's assistant Andy Thompson says no one will be dwelling on their opening World Cup match against England. They, of course, lost the opening game 2-1 at the weekend, helped by a controversial penalty awarded by VAR. But Thompson says it's all about focusing on the positives. We have to remember we're playing against the third-best team in the world. And we ran them close in the second half, so there's loads of positives. We kept the ball better in the second half. The major issue in the first half is... We gave it away cheaply, and when you do that against good players, you've got to struggle. And that was the, the thing we tried to rectify in the second half. They took it on board, and um, I thought they were excellent in the second half. Listen, England deserved to win the game. We're not going to get clouded by the penalty decision. They were the better team, but we were really positive at the end of the game, and, and the players are in a, a good um, place and looking forward to the next challenge. We've had major disappointment all along the campaign, and they've always bounced back quickly, and you... There was evidence of that during the game, um, second half. There's, there's no doubt in our minds that um, come the Japan game, that the England game's forgotten about. We've been over it this morning, very briefly. He's right, they've got to focus on the positives and it's the right thing to say that that penalty decision, controversial or not, probably wasn't what cost them the game. No, and, and Shelley Kerr at no stage tried to, to paint it as if that was the, mm. the defining moment of the game. Um, I think you're going to see an awful lot more of these handball decisions given by VAR in the English Premier League next season I thought an even more diabolical decision was the one given against Jamaica in their game against Brazil on the same day where the Jamaican player had her hand down by her side it struck her hand and was was still given Um, there was a good old fashioned handball in the box last night in the Spain-Sweden game that Willie Collum penalised Sebastian Larson for that was a straightforward Larson had his hand very high up and he was facing the play you could could see the force of it I thought Nicola Doherty was, was very unfortunate but that is the rule now Shelley Kerr had no arguing about it Andy Thompson No arguing about it today And Scotland just need to pick themselves up now Two big games against Japan and Argentina yeah. Neither of whom looked unbeatable When they played each other yesterday So Scotland do have a chance of advancing to the last 16 Scotland men of course playing Belgium tonight In their Euro qualifier We've had the Scotland team No Andrew Robertson tonight Greg Taylor making his debut Roger, the Belgium team As strong as we would expect yeah, I assume and I think I'm just going to whisper it For, um, for, for <laughs> the fearful who are crouching down Behind the, the couches at the minute Two changes One of the goal scorers at the weekend uh, Timothy Castagna is out So too is Rhys Mertens In though Come 
Thomas Mounier of PSG and Yuri Tielemans, that £40 million player that Brendan Rodgers is currently trying to take from, from Monaco to Leicester. So Thibaut Courtois again is in goal. It's a back three, Toby Alderweireld, Vincent Company, and Jan Vertonghen. Then across the midfield, Mounier, Tielemans, Witzel and Thorgan Hazard. And then Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne behind Romelu Lukaku. If you say it quick, it doesn't quite yeah, sound no, so daunting. No bother, no bother. Um, I want to go back onto the lines quickly. I've got Jim in Motherwell. Hello, Jim. Uh, hi, Alison. Hi, hi, Roger. Hi, Jim. Hi. Um, I was just going to ask you, I was, I was going to ask about the, the man of the match uh, um, in the Scotland-England, but it's, it's, I'm, I'm getting my words mixed up. It's not man of the match. It's it's, it's woman of the match or, or lady of the match. I don't know. Player of the match. Player of the match. Player of the match. Aye, what, what, what's your opinion on that then? In what sense? Uh, who who do you think it was? I, I don't know who it was. I did get in the game in the game on Sunday. Yeah, in the, the the ladies' game. Well, I thought it was that 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 girl Paris. I thought she played quite oh, well. I thought you meant the best Scotland player. Yeah, Nikita Paris out in the, the right hand side for for England yeah. scored from a penalty spot. England are strong down that side. They've, they've got Lucy Bronze who's just won the Champions League with Leon, uh, and yeah. they've now got Nikita Paris who has just signed for Leon and will play club football as well as international football with Lucy Bronze. Um, they did cause real problems for poor Nicola Doherty. It was a it was an afternoon that was yeah. difficult. You know, she she conceded the penalty and and you know. Did you, did you see that against the two of them? Yeah, did you see that that wee flick she put through the Scotland lassie's legs? I mean, that was quite classy. I mean, that's another thing, Roger. I mean, is that is that still is that still called a nutmeg? That is a no. Oh, I've absolutely no idea. I mean, we might need to change the whole lexicon of football now that we're all watching women's football at this World Cup. I'm not sure what, what you would call it. I'm not sure what the alternative would be, Jim. <laughs> Thank you to Jim for his call, Roger. Rapidly running out of time, but another couple of things that have happened today that I want to touch on. Mikael Lustig suggesting his potential departure from Celtic could have been handled differently. He's out of contract in the summer and it's probably given his biggest hint yet that he's set to leave. He says he's proud of how I've handled the situation and those closest to me, the players and the leaders at Celtic, know what has happened. It could have been handled differently in terms of what has been said and what happened. Yeah, I think I think that there was a, there was one never say never just at the bottom yeah. of his address in social media. Yeah. So he's not completely closed the door. Um, when Neil Lennon comes back from his holiday, I know he wants to keep Michael Lustig. You just wonder if if Miko's mind is made up. He was Malmo talking about one team that's yeah, that's interested. Malmo. I think he's also one who wouldn't think twice about spreading his wings. He talks about teammates that he's known who have gone to play in the USA or Australia or the Middle East. I don't think he would think twice about going doing something like that. When he goes, if he goes, he's been a terrific servant to Celtic. He's won an awful lot of trophies with Celtic. Um, he was yeah, no. The supporters of great fondness for Michael Lustig and I think always will have, even if some of the constabulary don't. Yeah, it just remains to be seen, but he has said that he's got a great love for Celtic and he would never rule out even if he did go coming back. Yeah, listen, if he doesn't come back as a player, I'm sure he'll come back to, to watch Celtic. He's mm. been here an awful long time. I think it's eight seasons he's been at the football club. Um, he came in rather unheralded, if you remember, from Rosenborg yeah. mid-season when his contract in Norway had expired. Not one of the glamour signings but he's turned out to be one of the more astute signings. Over at Rangers, 21-year-old Liverpool winger Shea Ojo is expected to join up with him for pre-season. He's set to join on loan. Stephen Gerrard has seen him as an upgrade on Ovi Ojaria, whose loan deal, of course, was cut short last season when the manager said he wasn't cut out for Scottish football. This would be his fifth loan spell. 
Yeah, it's now up to Ojo. Is he going yeah. to be the next to Jarrier, who, quite frankly, was a, a major disappointment mm-hmm. for Rangers? Or is he going to be the next Ryan Kent, who ended up as PFA Scotland's Young Player of the Year? Um, all Stephen Gerrard can do is offer these young lads the platform to go and play. And after that, it's up to them to see if they can cut it. Jarrier couldn't cut it yeah. in the Premiership. Ryan Kent was a real addition for Rangers last season. And regardless of whether Ojo comes in or not, I think Rangers will still be keen to get Kent back. Yeah, it remains to be seen what's going to happen with Ryan Kent and Andy Halliday's weighed into it now as well on social media, wanting to know what's happening there as well. Yeah, they're all at it. And they'll, they'll listen, it's probably just a, you know, a bit of humour among all the Rangers mm. players. They'll all want Ryan Kent back because they all know what an asset he was to the team last year. He's still a young man. He's only going to get better. But there is a lot of competition for his signature. Aston Villa and Leeds United leading the way. Yeah, it's not long until they all rejoin up again for pre-season and still a, a bit of work to do for both Celtic and Rangers. Yeah, I think they report back for pre-season training next Monday. The players enjoy the final days of their holidays. Still like a Callum McGregor I feel sorry for. He's still playing for Scotland tonight <laughs> and Tuesday. He's due back at Lennox Town next Monday. Absolutely. And one rumour that was going around was Josh McGuinness to Rangers, but it looks like that's um, just... Usual summer transfer you, speculation. You, you, you can park that in the uh, <laughs> unlikely tree. That's about it for tonight. Good luck to Scotland against Belgium. Remember, no Andrew Robertson tonight. Greg Taylor with his debut. I am back tomorrow night with Gordon DL. You can keep up to date with everything that's happening on Twitter at Clyde SSB and, of course, at Clyde1.com forward slash SSB. Ryan Borthwick's up next. One Super Scoreboard with Thompson's personal injury solicitors. Get the result you deserve. Talk to Thompson's.com.